All right, we're live. And by live, I mean recording, because this isn't actually live. Welcome back to episode three of El Podcast. Um, this episode actually has been recorded three times already. Well, I attempted to record it three times already, and uh, it didn't take for some reason. Something about the way that I had the external hard drive set up, and there's something with file system types and maximum file sizes and all that kind of stuff. So I think I figured out how to resolve that problem. And so hopefully this time going through and recording this will actually work. <laughs> um, I'm about three quarters of the way through. I'm going to splice in the live video that I did uh, a couple days ago from Facebook because that fits, I think, um, with what the topic that I, that I have at hand here. Anyway, I, I wanted to re-record re this episode because the, the content, sort of what I said in the episode, let's see if I can get this. There we go. Get the mic a little bit more on my face. The, the, the content of what I went through um, is important to me, and it's important right now in my life, and so I wanted to just make sure that it got out um, and that I actually posted it. Um, so every time I try and do this, I forget the, like the, the proper way to, to dive into these, to this particular topic. Anyway, I'll just sort of start talking, and we'll see if I get there. Um, the last couple of years have been interesting for me. Lots of changes um, that I've gone through. Uh, I, I've I've kind of publicly kept my the cards pretty close to my chest. I haven't really been super public about some of the things that have gone down. Uh, partially because I don't really know how to address them. Partially because I didn't really want to have the conversation that necessarily follows from starting to talk about some of these things. But I, it's kind of time, I think that I that I kind of let the cat out of the bag and and just addressed some of these things and just sort of gave my two cents and and then we move on. And I think this is this the timing of this is actually very important for me because these things that I'm going to talk about have have it's sort of come to a head in the sense that I've haven't really had much contact with my family for the last couple of months but my by my own choosing that was my own thing. And I think a lot of it had to do with uh, not wanting to have certain conversations with them. Anyway, I'll just get into it. There's no no need for more preface. Um, so the what I want to do in this episode is kind of tell you a story, tell you my story of a journey that I've gone on the last couple of years, probably the last five or six years actually, um, and how it's changed my life in a lot of ways, in a very some some shocking ways I think, but in just in some different ways. And and the 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 big the big points that I'm going to be talking about. This, this story is, is number one about how I, it's kind of the story of my divorce and how Naomi and I split. I'm not going to go into very much detail, but I'm just going to kind of, I mean, actually the divorce, the divorce is part of the main story, but I, that's one of the things that I haven't really been super open about. I haven't really been public about that. Um, I haven't just come out and publicly said, Hey, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm divorced. It's kind of like, Kind of like a thing where I've I've been waiting for people to bring it up, and then I say, "Oh, by the way, we're not together anymore," which is I, I'm just kind of sick of that feeling. Um, but the real thing that I want to talk about today is my um, journey or exodus, I guess you could call it. Just I grew up Mormon, um, and a lot of you know me as being Mormon, and I have uh, I am not anymore. Um, I haven't been to church in over a year and I haven't, I've kind of been checked out from the church for quite some time. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. 
And I, and I want to take this time to explain, not because I think that I need to, but rather because I respect all of my friends and I respect my family and I, and I feel like I, I feel like it's not so much that they deserve to know the story as much as I want them to know the story. I want them to understand because I don't, I, I'm, I've gotten to the point now where I'm, in, I'm on the brink of, of, uh, of becoming uh, unapproachable, so to speak. And I don't want to be that way. Like I, like I mentioned before, I haven't really spoken with well, most of my family members in several months, which is weird for me. It hasn't, that's never happened before. And I've actually actively avoided speaking to most of them. Um, and, uh, and I kind of want to, I want to bring that to an end. I, I want there to be dialogue, open dialogue, but I, but I want to say my piece first. I want them to, I want everybody just to understand what's going on. And hopefully what'll happen is we'll all still be able to get along and everything will be fine. Now I know that there is a chance there is a, by, by me coming becoming more open with this and putting this public like this, there is a good chance that I, that I won't have a place as an uncle or as a sibling in the same way that I did before. Mostly just because my family is very homogeneous in the, in the sense of Mormonness and this and values and, and decisions and choices and things that are being made. And I, I, you know, I, I'm making different choices now, you know, I'm, I, I'm living, leading, not necessarily, I'm not a different person. I think I'm more, more, I'm more of who I actually am. I'm more confident in who I am, but I, but I'm not, I'm not shying away from certain things and I'm not being afraid of certain things. And, and I'm, you know, things are different. I'll put it that way. So I, I, I fully understand that there's a risk that, um, some of the choices that I make, some of the things that I'm going to say are going to, are going to, are going to create a feeling, a sense of my siblings needing to, my siblings and even cousins and, and uncles and aunts needing to protect their children from me, from my influence. And I can't blame anybody for that because, you know, this, it's not like I'm going to be preaching, you know, go and do bad things or whatever, but just some of the things that I'm going to say don't exactly align with some of the values that a lot of people espouse. And so I understand that there's this line that I have to, that I've been, this line I've been towing that I basically just need to pick a side. Where, whereas I've, I've kind of not committed to who I really am publicly to my family. Um, and in so doing, I've been able to kind of stay in their good graces, so to speak, and, and, and not be seen as a, as a potential danger to their children. But I'm not being myself, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm robbing myself of experiences of, of having conversations and really being authentic with everybody. And... Um, and so I think that what I've, well, what I've decided to do is just become, come public with it. And, and I hope that everything that it's not going to turn into a big dramatic thing where I, you know, you know, you can't stop following uncle Brett on Twitter and on, on Instagram and on Facebook because he's posting about things that we don't agree with, things like that. Like, like I said, it's not going to, I'm not, I'm not into, into like, shockingly terrible things. So it's, I, I don't think that it's going to be that much of a, of a shift, but there, you know, some of the things that I have to say and some of the thoughts and, and opinions that I have that I'm allowing myself to just think are, are, can be, I'll put it this way. They can be difficult for somebody who is impressionable 
to to deal with. And I don't want to be the reason why somebody else, you know, makes a certain decision and then and I'm sort of blamed for it. So anyway, I've I've spent way too much time on the the lead up to this. Anyway, I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to I want to tell you my story. Hopefully, if you are a member of my family, I'm I'm sort of pleading with you just listen to the whole story. We can talk, you know, afterwards about what it means for how I get how I relate to you or your children or whatever, but this is this is who I am. This is this is the real me um that I've kind of let out. And I've been talking a little bit more about that recently, but well, we'll just go back and I'll tell the story. So, um I like I told like I said before, I was raised Mormon. Anybody who knows me, any of my friends from from high school or from 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 home know that I grew up in the quintessential strong Mormon family. I mean, we we are there's 10 kids in my family, um all of which are super active in the church. My parents are super active in the church. There are there's a lot of, we have uh my older one of my older sisters has has a um, uh, a son that's returned from a mission one that's on a mission and then another one that just left on a mission um and you know it's it's a generational thing and we've been in the church very strong for a long time we've got leaders there's leadership in the church in my family and all this kind of stuff i served a mission myself in ukraine which i'll never take that back um that was one of the most transformative experiences of my life it wasn't i wouldn't say that it was the best experience of my life but it was certainly a huge portion of who I am today. And without it, I wouldn't be who I am. So, so that's super important to me. Um, but grow, growing up Mormon, uh, there's a sense of, let's see, how do I put this? When you grow up in, in a Mormon household, you, you grow up uh, being committed more to something bigger than yourself. Like, the whole point of a religion, and the, especially the whole point of Mormonism, is that there is it's is that life is bigger than just you. It's just it's bigger than than there's more to what's going on than just oh did I get have enough, make enough money today to pay for my bills? Like there's a bigger story, a bigger narrative that's going on, which I really enjoy and respect. But one of the downsides, and I don't know how much of this I sort of imposed on myself versus it was intended to be imposed on me, but I never allowed myself to discover or really explore my own wants and desires and, and really my own personality, my own self. And so, you know, throughout life, and this will come up in a couple of different places, it, it was difficult for me to make decisions based on who I actually was because it was always, I was always basing my decisions on, on who the, the, this narrative about life said that I should be. Right, so I talked in the episode one about um, being who you are and being honest with yourself, as opposed to being what you think somebody s- says you should be. And a lot of that comes from this this experience that I had of of not really d- discovering, you know, true self, and not really not really being encouraged to discover self and, and individuality and, and identity, because we are all part of something bigger. We're all a, a uh, I don't want to say a cog in the wheel because that's not the the sentiment of it, but we're all part of a bigger thing, and so there isn't really a whole lot of place for for individual individuality, and it, that comes through in things like you know you know don't um, like there's you know doctrinal principles of looking after the poor and being selfless and doing all these things, and and I think uh, um, unfairly so the idea of taking care of one's own wants first 
is sort of put into a secondary position, even though there are some very strong doctrinal and 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 there are very strong messages that have been put out by the church about you can't really love anyone until you love yourself. You can't really help anyone until you know who you are. It's kind of uh, mispreached, so to speak. It's mis mistaught, and it's misunderstood, I think. Anyway, so that's kind of the foundation uh, of what happens um, in in a, in a Mormon society, Mormon culture, and uh, and again, there, there's. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm. This is just. I'm just pointing out what happened to me. Um, as life went on, uh, as you know, I was in high school, and you know, you do the Mormon thing. And I was served a mission, and mission, my mission was very difficult, very difficult for me. Um, not. You know, I didn't have a lot of success by Mormon standards, by missionary success standards. Um, I I struggled a lot on my mission with, you know, with certain, just with like the way that things were done, with the politics of it. With there were a lot of weird things that happened, but you know, it's a mission, and you, it's what you spent. I spent my whole life preparing for it up to that point, and so I, you know, you keep going, you push through, and you do you do what you can. I and I I'm satisfied. I don't have any regrets about what I did. Um, but, uh, you know, just sort of continued on and, and, and came back. Well, part of that lack of identity comes through in the, po- what I call the post-mission ritual, right? So you come home from a mission and the prevailing idea, and this was actually taught to me verbatim, is that the, the progress, like once you get off your mission, your next duty is to get married, right? Cause then you're, you raise children, and then you create eternal families, and that's the whole point, right? It's not about individual success. It's not about individual goals. It's about getting married, starting a family, and then moving forward. And I actually, uh, that's another one of the, the, the principles of Mormonism that I don't dislike, except that it's founded on this principle of not really discovering yourself. So um, when, you, when, you, when you come home and you get married, part of the, part of the doctrine behind that is, is there was a leader of the church that said, any two righteous Righteous meaning living the rules of Mormonism, people can have a happy marriage. So you think, oh well, it's easy then, right? You just, you just, oh, you come home, and you, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then you, you pick someone that's a strong member of the church, you'll be fine. Like you'll have a happy marriage, and everything will be uh, cheeky peaky, uh, to borrow a, a, a Russian phrase. Peachy essentially is what it means. Um, and so when I got home, that's what that was. That was my thought process, and I remember very strongly. Uh, in my in my very very short dating phase after I got home from my mission, that was my thing. It was like I just got to find one and pick. I got to pick one and then get married, and just do it. And I had this thing in my head, which I don't know if I made this up myself or if it was a, a product of again conditioning over that many years. But I distinctly remember s- saying to myself, "You got to date immediately, or you never will." In other words. You know, there was this sense, this urgency around dating, and and that's kind of what happened. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to delve too much into my marriage, out of respect for Naomi and out of respect for for people who are married. Uh, at some point, maybe if I get permission from her, I'm, I might dive into it a little bit more. But essentially, what I what I suspect happened, and I think she would agree with me on this, is when we when I got back from my mission, she okay. So we'll get to the suspect part in just a second. This is true. I came home from my mission. I spent about six weeks in Puerto Rico with my parents because they were there at the time. When I came home, Naomi, who was the girl that I was married to for six years, she was the first date that I went on. And I went on that date four days, five, four days after I got back to Arizona. So I'm home 
Four days later, I go on a date with this girl. The next weekend, I go on a date with one other girl. And after that, it was probably two weeks later, I got a, a text message from a mutual friend of ours that said, you should text Naomi back. She likes you. And, and I, if I'm being totally, completely bare honest, I decided in that moment that she was the girl I was going to marry. Not because there was any particular feeling of, of physical attraction. I mean, she's gorgeous. She still is. She's a beautiful girl. Uh, not because there was any sort of like intimate connection on a psychological or emotional level, but rather because, oh, good, I found one that likes me. She seems cool. She's going to BYU. Done. And then there was pursuit mode from there. So we texted back and forth, and we dated, and then we got married. And that was it. Literally, I kid you not, after my, since high school, I've been on, and until the divorce, I had been on dates with two girls. One of them was the girl that I married and was married to for six years. So um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, of self. For, there wasn't a whole lot of for me to give to that marriage because I didn't know who I didn't really know who I was and I didn't really have a self. Um, because I again I was part of sort of this bigger thing and I just sort of went along for the ride and thought, oh well, this is what's supposed to happen and things are supposed to work. Um. Well, they, I mean, as you can probably imagine, they didn't really, you know, it, we, we, a lot of people, they, they get divorced because they say they grew apart. We, we never really grew together. You know, we, we were never really on the same page about things. So, um, so, you know, that was the end of that particular marriage, but, or of that, not that particular marriage, but that particular episode of life that of, of the marriage, um, was, you know, and there was a lot, there's a lot more to it. I don't want to, I don't want to simplify it down to just the fact that we were naive when we got together. That was a huge part of it, but there, I mean, there's a lot that happened, but, um, but I think, uh, I think it's, well, so before we got divorced, probably five years ago, so this is, this is about three years before the divorce, about five years ago, um, uh, three, actually, no, it was three years ago. Um, this show came on called The Following with Kevin Bacon. Now I'm a huge Kevin Bacon fan, so I immediately started watching it and I was, I was, really interested in the premise of the show, which if you haven't seen it, I'll give you the premise. The premise is there's this serial killer who convinces a bunch of people. He's a really good writer. He's a professor at, at, a, at a community college somewhere. And he teaches about Edgar Allan Poe. And he teaches about, you know, Poe is obsessed with death and all this stuff. And so he basically creates this cult of people who are obsessed with death and they follow him. They, they follow him, you know, to the T. They do everything that he says. And the thing that struck me about this show, which it's a dramatization, right? So it's, it's a show. It's meant for, to have shock value and be entertaining. But the problem, what I found with the show almost immediately was that the relationship that the followers of this serial killer had with, their, with the leader, so their, their, their um, commitment to their zealousness for their willingness to obey this guy, uh, was very similar to what I noticed was true for most Mormons, most almost all Mormons, where there, there's a... Now, again, that doesn't... The difference is, right, this guy's a serial killer and the leaders of the Mormon church are not serial killers, right? They're, they're great, great men trying to do good things in the world. I, I, I will I'll stand by that um, forever. That's, that's, I think that's absolutely true. But what was scary to me was that the format of the relationship between the two people right, between a follower and, and, and leader uh, in this show and then Mormon and leadership of the Mormon church was the same. 
meaning that something something in the way that the leader that the follower became the follower was that was similar and it, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way and i didn't think too much of it at the time but but i it just sort of sat in the back of my head and was gnawing it at, in, the, in the back of my head. And I didn't love that idea, but I just sort of went with it. Um, and, uh, and so that was, a, you know, that was a thing that I had to sort of deal with, uh, was a question that sort of came up. And then uh, as that continued on, there were, there were just more questions that came up. I mean, I remember back in, when I was in college and, and, the, and Prop 8 was a big deal. And for me, the whole thing with, with gay marriage has always been, why do we care so much? Why is it so important to us that, that these people who want to get married, they want to create families, right? they, want to, they just want to be happy and live together. Why, why, is it, why do we care so much? Now, and I understand, I'm not naive enough to think that, to think that the, all the people that are making the most noise about Prop 8 were the, the people that legitimately just wanted to get married, and they weren't after sort of political gain or or recognition or any of this other type of type of stuff i i get that but at the, at the end of the day why do why are we so concerned about what other people are doing with their with their you know with their how what, what choices they're making like i you know it, it just seemed it seemed disingenuous to me it didn't seem it didn't seem right it didn't seem like it fit um and, uh, and, and I just, you know, at the time I just sort of thought, okay, well, I just gotta, I gotta get with the program. I gotta, I gotta get my feet in the boat. I can't, you know, I can't tow the line here. I just gotta be all hands on deck, um, and supportive. And so I just did, you know, and I kind of let it go. But as time went on, I became more and more unable to, um, to turn off the questions. Cause the minute you start to think, oh, I don't know about this gay marriage thing. You know, that's kind of a weird thing. Um, then you start questioning other things, right? You go to other places. Like, I, you know, you go to one of the big topics that came up and that was discussed quite a bit around that time and still is, was blacks in the priesthood um, and whether and how, whether or not Brigham Young was racist. You know what I mean? And it, once, you, once you open that can of worms, you can't really come back from that. So you go through all, you know, all these different things and it's just like, you, I, 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 I made it work. You know, you, you think about, you ask questions about it and you think, oh, is, is he racist? Is he not racist? Then it's like, well, maybe he was supposed to be racist. And you look at stories in the Bible and there, there are leaders of the, of the faith in the Bible that do weird things because they're weird people and they're humans, right? Everyone's human. Um, so I, I understand people making mistakes and being, being caught up in their own biases, but it just, it calls into question things because our whole life as a Mormon, you're, you're, you're taught that, you're, you're not, it's not like it's a direct teaching, like the, the leadership of the church is infallible, but there is a lot of anecdotal uh, support when you're in church and you're in a Sunday school class. Most of the time, when you talk about following the prophet, there is a comment that is almost universally agreed to, which is when the prophet speaks, we listen, which is, ba- it's the same thing as saying the prophet's never wrong, Right. Even though in some instances, instances we'll say, oh, well, prophets are men, you know, the leadership of the church, they're men, so they can make mistakes. But we don't really believe that. We just say it because we're supposed to say it. You know what I mean? So, so you know, you go down this route and then you start having these, these questions and, and these, these comments. And I think I brought these up with Naomi a couple of times, and I think it's kind of scared her a little bit, which was unfair of me um, to kind of throw her under the bus. And at the time I was, you know, I didn't know then what I know now. And so I was a little bit more brash, a little bit more like, well... 
we got to have this conversation because it's important. And what if it's true and all this stuff? And um, anyway, so that, that kind of went and kept going and, and, and things started happening. And, and, um, and, and, and we continued on in the marriage and we, we, we kept trying to make it work. And I kept having these questions and kept trying to make it work and doing these things. And, and for, other, for separate reasons. Other not not completely related to these questions that I was having, we we decided that we that it wasn't working and that we needed to get divorced, and so we did, and we got separated. and And right after we got separated, um, I watched a couple of documentaries, uh, that kind of drove some some points home. I, I mean, after we got separated, a lot of times what happens is uh, one or both of the members of the of the Mormon faith. Like if when you get divorced, is you you kind of shy away from going to church because um, I'll explain in a second about the church's attitude towards divorcees. But I kept going. I wanted to go to church. I tried. I, I went every Sunday. I, I participated in the meetings. I went to the the family ward and and kind of moved forward. And um, and one Saturday, I was at home alone because I didn't have friends, <laughs> which is one of the things about when you're married, make sure you have your own friends. Uh, that's just totally an episode for a topic for another episode. Um, but I, I, uh, I saw this, this, um, documentary on Scientology. And if any of you have seen the documentary on Scientology, you know that Scientologist Scientology is kind of weird. Didn't think much of it. I just watched it. I was like, wow, that's pretty trippy that that there's people that that are going through this. Kind of let it go for a bit. And then I watched another documentary, probably two Eh, three or four months later, called um, Prophets Pray about Warren Jeffs. Um, that one was actually made last year. That movie freaked me out. That's a tr- that is a freaky movie, that documentary. As if you're Mormon, especially, because Warren Jeffs was leader of the FLDS, which is basically the, it's a, it's, they call themselves a fundamentalist LDS church, so it's like the Mormons, but fundamentalist. So they're the polygamists that live in southern Utah and northern Arizona. And he, I was immediately reminded of that feeling that I had from watching the following about followers giving too much power to their leader. Because this is a guy who was preaching pretty much Mormon doctrine. But he was so bad. Just, just, uh, just, you have to watch, you have to watch it. I can't even explain it, but it's just so bad. And I thought to myself, what's, the, this is how close we are. I mean, how close is all of Mormonism to this? It doesn't take much for the whole thing to turn into into something like this. And again, I was like, yeah, but there's a difference because our our people aren't actually trying to to rape fourteen year old girls and and have fifty wives, right? So there's a difference. But at the same time, again, the the structure of it, the format of it, is the same. They all had so much devotion for him that he could get away with anything that he wanted. And I thought to myself, if if the leadership of of the Mormon Church was to say, all right, guys, second coming is happening in a month, everybody's got to move to Jackson County. There would be a mass exodus from all over the world. People would flood to Missouri. There's a, there's a doctrine that the second coming is going to happen and Zion's going to be in Jackson County, Missouri. So everyone's going to flock there. And I'm still going to church, right? I'm still looking at things and I'm, 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 I'm defending everything by saying, oh, there's, there's, a, there's a, a difference, right? So it's not the same thing. But then... Something else happened. So again, all of these things have happened. All these experiences that have sort of chipped away at, at pieces of, of my conviction. 
and 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 I, but I'm still holding strong. Going to church, I I, I knew that I needed to go to church. Um, any even though you know I was divorced, even though I was having these questions. I mean, people don't really realize, and I don't think many Mormons realize. There's not there there aren't programs for divorced people in the church. We're, we're kind of there's not really a place for us. If I'm being honest, um. We don't really, I mean, because you think about the natural progression of Mormonism, right? So you're a kid, there's a program for you. It's called primary. When you're a teenager, there's a program. It's called young men and young women. When you're 18, 19, 20, 21, there's a program for you. It's called missionary service. When you come back from your mission, there's a program for you. It's called uh, institute, right? Or a singles ward or some combination of both. Then you get married and then there's a thing for you. It's called a ward and you get a calling and you move forward. There's not really a place for people that go backwards, Go from a family ward back to a singles ward. A ward, by the way, for those that are not LDS, is just like a congregation. So like my the local congregation that you meet with every week is your ward, and a bunch of those come together to make a stake, and so on and so forth. And they have wards, these congregations specifically for single people, and they're, des- they're designed to get you married, which is fine. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people talk about that being a terrible thing, but I, I, it makes sense. Um. But there's not really a place for people that move backwards. So I actually went to a family ward first, because I thought that'd be an easier transition. No, not, not many people knew that I was divorced, except the, the leader of the of the ward knew, and a couple of the other guys in the ward knew. But um, they, you don't fit there, because I'm here. I'm here. I'm a, a single guy about to turn thirty, and I'm in a ward with with uh, husbands and wives that have two and three kids. When you're the single guy that's that's thirty, that's not married in a in a family ward, yeah, you know, oh, he's that guy. You go to a singles ward, and you you just don't fit there because singles ward again is designed for a for a, to be transition between between teenagehood like like young adulthood and married life, but it's not designed for people to go back from being married to being single again. And so I'm you know I'm just I but I I just decided I was like you know what I I I this is for me I'm not doing this to be part of a of the community I'm doing this because I uh, believe because I want to be part of this and so I I would go and I'd find my own nuggets of truth in talks that that were based in a total lack of experience and I'd find my little little pieces of inspiration from a lesson that's taught about raising a family from a guy who's 35 who's never been married right so I I I, I I put my head down and I really focused and I and I went forward and I and I tried to figure it out. And then something very interesting started happening. And this really is sort of the the main like the bulkiest of the reasons why I'm no longer going no why I don't longer I'm why I'm not Mormon anymore. Um and it's it's because I just started to discover that there were questions that I didn't know I was asking. The way I discovered that the, that I had these questions was by I was getting the ant. I'll put it this way: I started to realize I was getting answers to questions that I didn't know I was asking from places other than church. In other words, I started to receive. I started to get to be filled with uh, with experiences that that bolstered me up. That 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 gave me what I, what I didn't even know I was looking for. And I wasn't finding that at church. I was finding it in, in training in Muay Thai from the, almost from day one. 
I knew there was something that I loved about Muay Thai, but I didn't really know what it was. And it wasn't until right after the divorce, when I started to be really introspective, that I started to pay attention to what was happening in all the aspects of my life. And I started to recognize that when I was training Muay Thai, when I was in the gym, when I was, when I was, you know, exercising, whatever I was doing, I was, I was learning about myself. I, there were, there were these moments where my, where mind and body melded into one and there, there weren't two things. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I was just being. And in those moments, uh, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. And, and afterwards, I, I would look back and I thought, wow, I learned a lot about myself just now. And I, you have these, these, this experience of, of being connected to self and being connected to the ground and the earth and the place that you're in and the person you're dealing with, you're working with, and, and, and forgetting about all external input or stimulus or anything else like it's all about that moment and and feeling that grounded and feeling that connected was something that I didn't realize that I'd been looking for all the years I was a Mormon um really feeling really feeling connected in a real way not in like a if I'm honest when I, I would, I spent my whole life reading my scriptures and saying my prayers and never felt like I really had any response. I'd have some experiences that were very emotional, um, which might've been it. I don't actually know, but never, nothing that I could definitively pinpoint I haven't had any real definitive experiences in my life where I felt like God spoke back to me. Like there was some, some sort of response. And I, again, I don't know what that means. And in a second here, I'm going to flip on the live Facebook live thing that goes into more of my frustration with, 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 you know, what some people have said is the reason why I, uh, I never got that, that confirmation. But for me, starting to feel connected, I think it, what I was looking for, I didn't realize I was looking for was I wanted to feel like I was connected to God. Like it was a real thing that I was praying to instead of just, you know, standing on a cliff and it's, there's just clouds and it's really foggy below and you think there's, you, you believe there's somebody down there and you're just sort of tossing things to them. And it's all sort of one-sided, but there's not really any confirmation that comes back. And suddenly, while I was training, in this, in this situation where I was allowing mind and body to come together in a way that was, that was non-cerebral, that was all, it was physical. It was, it was just grounding. And I felt, I re, and I still to this day, when I train, I feel connected to, to reality, to, and this is going to sound so hippy-dippy, but I sound, I feel connected to the earth. I feel connected to the people around me, to the moment. So I'm no longer a third-party observer of what's going on, but I'm rather a, an active participant in the situation that I'm actually in, which is very, very hard to realize. I, I know I'm doing a terrible job of conveying it, but, but when I realized like that was, those experiences are the most powerful and most attractive experiences that I've ever had in my life. And so what I started doing was, um, I started trying to come like just to meld the two together. So I would, I train every day. And then on Sunday morning I would go into the gym and I would just work on my own spar with a couple people sometimes or just work on the bag or whatever it was, but just sort of get grounded, get zenned out and then go to church. 
And I found that there were some cool, cool moments that I'd have in church and cool moments that I'd have on those days. But there was just something, there was something um, superfluous about church. And, and, and the realization, the thing that really, that really, you know, broke the camel's back, the straw that really broke the camel's back for me was when I realized that I, I didn't have, I didn't belong. I, I was not part of the Mormon tribe anymore. And that happened. So let me explain something about tribes so that you'll understand where I'm coming from with this particular, uh, this, this particular line of rhetoric of reasoning. Tribes, if you think, so think of like, um, uh, what's his bones? Seth Godin wrote a book called Tribes. And Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this quite a bit. And there's a lot of guys that, that talk about tribe. But a, a tribe is a group of people that share a common set of ideals. And they share those ideals because they share those ideals. It's not like those ideals are forced on them. So it's not like, let's gather up 50 people and there are, there's a, you know, 35 type A people and, you know, 15 type B people and that's 50. So we'll say 100 people and 50 type C people. And we're going to take, you know, all these people and we're going to say, okay, you guys are now part of tribe D. So your job is to espouse, is to, to go out and, and become like a D person. The truth about tribes is that in that group of 100 people, there's a tribe of A. And those are the people that are already A. And so you just, the A people are part of a tribe. And B are the people that are part of B tribe. And C are people that are part of C tribe. And they just are. They're not trying to be. They're not striving to be. They just are. They're just being what they are. And then naturally the people that are being what they are and they're, what, what they are being is similar gravitate towards each other, right? Well, what I discovered, and I'll share the experience that kind of put the final nail in the coffin, I discovered that I was, I'm, not a, I'm not part of the Mormon tribe. There's not a place for me. Because I don't agree with, I don't think the way that Mormons think. I don't, I'm not... Mormon in that sense. I'm, I, I, don't, uh, I don't want to approach the world in that way. I, I, I question things. You know, I'm different. And, you know, there's a lot of... Oh. Sorry about that. <laughs> Light just cut off randomly. There's a lot of people who will say, oh, well, there's a place for everyone. You know, it's not... We, we didn't run you out. I don't feel shunned. I don't feel... I, I, I know full well that I could come back to church... And I could do just fine all on my own, not needing to be connected with anybody there. I know how Mormonism works. I could do very well. And I, and I would enjoy it. I could have a good time. This is about me. I don't fit. I don't want to be part of a tribe that I'm not part of. I don't, want to, I don't want to act like I'm part of a tribe that I'm not part of. And I don't want the pressure. I don't want or need or feel like I deserve the pressure to conform to a certain uh, set of ideals. I just want to be me. I just want to be who I am and then be that with people that are also being that, right? So, uh, you know, it's, it's not about trying to be something. It's about just being who you are. Well, let me tell you what happened. So after the, so, you know, I, like I said before, I, I was not, I didn't really agree with a lot of the gay marriage rhetoric that was tossed around at the church. Um, and I, and I didn't really appreciate a lot of the stuff that was going back and forth and, and, and I, I just, I wish that we would just get out of the discussion altogether because it didn't make sense why we were part of it. But as time went on, you know, the church sort of made some strides. And in the, actually, the last couple of years, they, they reached out and, and were, were doing a lot of work to mend fences. 
with um, and build bridges with the, with that community. And I would, I, for the first time in almost a decade, I was like proud to be a Mormon. Like, yeah, look what we're doing. We're 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 building fences. You know, we're we're uh, we're we're reaching out. We're trying to make a difference. And then the other shoe dropped, or to use another phrase, then the bomb dropped. Uh, I remember where I was. I remember where I was sitting in Lestat's. It's a little coffee shop. I was having some some delicious green tea. And I pulled out my phone and I was scrolling through. Um, I was on a date, actually. The girl was in the, the bathroom. I'm scrolling through. And uh, I saw the feed. It come, came up on my Facebook feed and it said, the Mormon church is now requiring children of homosexual families to wait until they're 18 to be baptized. Which, let me explain really quickly. Like, that only happens to polygamist families or people who are in situations where, well, it just, it just seemed really backhanded. It was really like, we're going to help out this community and then we're going to slap them in the face. And there was a, there's a lot of explanation and there's a lot of rhetoric that's going around and the leadership of the church is trying to explain what happened. And it just, that to me was the, the straw that, that it helped me to realize more surely, more fully that I don't fit. That's not my tribe anymore. And uh, and I haven't been back since. I haven't been to church. Um, and I have no desire to. And I know that some of you that are watching this, I know the, the, the bucket you've put me in. I'm the prodigal son, right? And you're just waiting for me to come home broken and, and, and begging to be, be welcomed back to the family, to the fold, so to speak, so you can have the, so you can break your, you know, you can uh, kill the fatted calf, et cetera, et cetera. But, it, you know, and that's fine. I don't really care if you think that. That's fine. Um, but it's not going to happen. Um, this has been, well, I don't, I don't foresee it happening. And I don't really want in, interact, my interactions with other people to be, be predicated on this idea that we're just waiting for you to realize how stupid you are or what, what a terrible choice you've made. Because I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting back in judgment saying that everybody should do what I did. Like everybody, like all Mormons should quit. I don't think that at all. I don't want anybody to make choices to, 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 to leave the church because I did. If you're going to leave, you got to do it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Like if, if you're, if you're going to do anything, you got to do it for the right reasons. So it's not about, um, for me, I'm not trying to influence anybody. I'm just being, I'm just being me. I'm just doing what I want to do, and I, and I just want to be a little more public about it. And like I said at the beginning, I hope that my family has, has, has listened to this point, and there's a little bit more for them to listen to, but I just, I just hope that they'll, they'll see this not as, a, not as an attack or a confession or a cry for help, but rather as a statement, just as a, so I am. This is the new, this is what's up, this is what's up. And and that we can move past that, and I don't have to deal with having conversations that 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 I don't need to have. I, I don't want to have conversations about you guys being concerned about the choices that I'm making. I'm 30 years old; like I, I'm going to make the choices I'm going to make. I, I don't. I, it's just not. It's not worth my time to sit down and be grilled or be interrogated about the choices that I'm making um, when I'm a grown man. You know, the, the language that I choose to use, the movies I choose to watch, the people I associate with, the places I go. 
that's that those are choices I'm going to make. And I don't, I don't want to defend, I don't want to have to defend myself because I don't need to defend myself because I'm not doing anything that needs to be defended. I'm just being me. Um, anyway, so, uh, going off of the comment I made earlier about, um, about I did all the things that I was, I did, you know, checked all the boxes, read my scriptures, said my prayers and didn't, didn't feel like I got connected. I was really connected with God. Um, I want to play for you now the, um, the Facebook live video. And I, and I, and I want to preface it by saying this whole thing comes from, again, that frustration of not, of, of feeling like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing and not getting the result of it. And then also being, being put in a situation where I was, where I was forced to defend actions and choices that I was making based on the fact that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing anymore. So when I stopped reading the scriptures and I stopped saying prayers every day, clearly I was not going to be getting that same, you know, those, those inspirations and that, that connection, but I wasn't getting it anyway. So it just didn't seem like it made sense to me anyway. So I'll play that now and then I'll be back in just a sec or I guess after. All right. So we're live. And again, this is, uh, this other episode, um, the podcast and then the live thing is part of this thing and so on and so forth. Um, crooked? Nah, it's all right. Um, so what I want to talk about, you see in the, in the title and I've, the people that have been watching the, the podcast, or I guess if you watch the full podcast episode on my YouTube channel, you'll get kind of the backstory. But what I want to talk about is, um, confusing your commitment with indoctrination. Okay. I think this happens a lot more often than we, than we give, um, than we really realize. But I think what happens is we have a tendency to, um, to, to, to claim that we're committed to something or even claim that there's a way to become committed to something that is really just the indoctrination process of that thing. So for example, if, if you, um, if you read, if you're a really big fan of Byron Katie, for example, right. And I would recommend you become a really big fan of Byron Katie. I love, uh, I love the, um, I love loving what is, <laughs> uh, the, the book that she wrote Byron Katie, it's, it's amazing. Now, if you were to read that book every day um, and continue and do the work every day and continue to, to strive to live by the principles that Byron Katie espouses in that book and in the process of the work, naturally, you're going to be committed to Byron Katie. You're going to continually talk about Byron Katie. Byron Katie is going to be a big part of your life. But that's natural because you're doing the things that she is, 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 is um, saying that you should do. Right. And you're doing them consistently. So, um, in, you know, not only are you doing the things that she is saying that you should do and you're getting, you're probably even getting results from them, obviously, because the work is a powerful process to go through. And the more you do the work and the more you read the book and the more you follow what she does and check out her YouTube channel and do all these other things, the more committed you're going to think you are to the, to the process. Um, the problem is if you, if you continue just to do the things that she's asking you to do, and don't really internalize the process of the work and, and then move on, not needing her, like her voice to be teaching you how to do it. You're not actually committed to it. You're just indoctrinated to it. So you've just spent enough time, uh, being involved and, and being, um, exposed to her, to her words, to her rhetoric, to the way that she approaches things. And as soon as that's gone, then your commitment to what she has to say goes away, right? 
Whereas if you, if you, um, if you internalize that commitment and take the principles that she's taught you and really, really make them your own, it's no longer a question of, are you committed to Byron Katie? Do you love Byron Katie? It's more a question of, have you learned what she taught you? Right? So, so being like a fanboy of a certain person, I'm, I'm a super, I'm a huge Gary Vee fanboy right now. Um, he just, everything that he says is gold. I have, I, it's like the first thing I wake up, up to every morning is his new video. And I watch it and I get all fired up for the day and it's, and it's awesome and all the things that, he, that he's talked about. But if I, if I just continue to, to watch his content, consume his content, um, well, there's two things. First of all, of course I'm going to be a very Gary V fanboy if I'm watching his content every day because it's good content. But if I'm, if I'm focused on, uh, being connected to that particular thing, then it's going naturally, I'm going to become indoctrinated to his way of thinking. But, if you think about, um, if you think about it from another uh, standpoint, it's also very possible for you to become uh, so indoctrinated into a way of thinking that uh, you can confuse that commitment that you have, that indoctrination, confuse the two. So you basically confuse and you think, oh, well, I'm really committed to this thing or, or no, I'm really indoctrinated to it. Well, so the, the, the real example that I want to bring up, and it, you need to watch the full episode so you get kind of the context of why I'm talking about this. Because there's probably 45 minutes of me ranting about, not really ranting, just telling the story of, telling my story of, of my journey over the last couple of years, um, which might be surprising to some of you, probably won't be surprising to others of you. But I, I had an experience recently where with, a, with religion, I came to understand that uh, the way that, that, that I was getting um, the, the, um, the internal uh, commitment or the internal uh, connection with the religion that I was a part of was by participating in indoctrination rituals, reading certain things every day, taking certain actions every day, doing things every week, right? There were certain things that I had to do. And in, and the, the output of those actions was that I was in, I was committed, so to speak, but really just indoctrinated to a particular way of thinking. Now I don't have anything wrong with taking those actions every day. And I don't have anything, I have nothing against the the texts that I was that I was supposed to be reading, I have nothing against the actions I was supposed to be taking. There's really nothing wrong with them. They're very benign. The problem that I had was with the idea that my commitment to that cause, my commitment to that religion, my commitment to that person, whatever it is, was so uh, wrapped up in the fact that I was doing these indo- this, these these rituals of indoctrination. Whereas if I when I stopped doing the rituals of indoctrination. A very interesting thing happened, and you stop being very consistent about the the ritual itself and the the ordinance, if you will, but the, that ritual of this is the way that it's supposed to be done. Um, the power of the, the 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 cause itself sort of diminishes, and when you when you're forced to um, adhere to a certain set of principles in order to get the result, um, in a in a religious in a spiritual sense. Uh, it, it, it belies what I think is a little bit too, a little bit questionable of a, um, of a source. So you can't really rely, I think, on the source necessarily of, of what's happening when, when like, of course you're going to become, uh, indoctrinated and you're going to become attached to a certain ideology if you read stuff every day. If you read, um, Ann Coulter's books every day, if you just, if you read everything that she has to say, you're going naturally to become indoctrinated into her way of thinking. If you read Bill O'Reilly's stuff every day, if you watch him every day, if you watch Pierce Morgan every day, if you watch 
uh, people that watch The Daily Show every day when Jon Stewart was on it, they love Jon Stewart and they follow Jon Stewart. And Jon Stewart is like their their man. It's like their man. And it's because they indoctrinated, they've allowed themselves to become indoctrinated to his way of thinking. It's not necessarily because of anything, any individual particular thing that he's saying. They just like the way that, that he talks. Now, again, there, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with Jon Stewart or Pierce Morgan or, or any of those guys or girls or women or men or whatever you want to call them. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is the, the indoctrination, the, the commitment to the particular thing is it comes by way of indoctrination ritual and not by way of natural attraction, if that makes sense. And so I, I think it's important uh, for me, the interesting thing has been um, realizing this, this process and being really frustrated with the fact that in order for, like, for example, with religion, in order for me to get answers to prayers, it was necessary that I do A, B, C, D, E. When the confusing thing for me was, well, I mean, if, and this is, this is me being sort of, sort of open and, and vulnerable here for a second, which I am not normally, I'm actually surprised that I'm going here, but if God is, uh, if, if, can't God talk to me? Can't we just have a conversation? Like, isn't that, I mean, I, it, it, the, the concept of God to me necessarily involves him or her or it, whatever it is, being more powerful than me. Meaning, it, it, regardless of what I'm, of the choices that I'm making. Now, obviously, if I'm actively sort of, if I have this, this full commitment to us, to the idea of God, and I am actively uh, shunning that and like and, and doing things that, it w- that would take me away from it. It's the same thing in reverse, essentially. Like if I'm if I'm actively participating in in indoctrination rituals that lead me away from getting inspiration or 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 um, revelation or anything from from a God figure. Obviously, for the same reason, I'm not going to get it. But at the same time, it doesn't make any sense for me to be to necessarily be involved in A B C D E. Uh, um, action or activity or indoctrination ritual is the word that I'm going to keep coming back to um, because I'm in my head, my head's in the right place. I know my head's in the right place. And just because I'm not taking some empty action, some empty, I'm not reading words on a page um, that I've read a hundred thousand times before. Maybe I'll get some other insight into the way that it was written. But for me, the interesting thing about it was I, I, I wasn't able to really uh, connect with the fact that of like, of course, I'm gonna stay indoctrinated in this particular way of thinking, this particular religious outlook. Of course, if I'm if I'm if I'm encouraged and and uh, and and really, I won't say forced, but really like strongly, strongly encouraged to partake to take part in these indoctrination rituals every day. Naturally, I'm going to become indoctrinated. I'm going to become committed to this particular cause, this particular thing. And for me, that just seems a little bit disingenuous, just just at, at its core. Now, I will say, I'm the first person to to point out and to and to acknowledge the fact that I'm probably totally wrong, right? In the in the eternal scheme of things, if we step outside of my my uh, approach to things and, and and outside of my the society and outside of the world and look at what's really true, there's a good chance that I'm way off, and that's fine. I totally accept that. But what I'm saying is. It's hard for me, um, and, and I think this is a question that's not brought up often enough. It's very hard for me to uh, really commit to something when the the path to commitment is a series of indoctrination rituals. 
because nat of of course human that's the way our human mind works that's the way the that's the way we interact with our body that's where mind and our bodies actually interact is if you continue to do the same thing over and over again it's going to affect you in a certain way so i think it's i think it's important and i i don't want anyone to think that i'm trashing on religion or trashing on mormons or anything you know because uh, i think there's a lot of good there's a lot of stuff that i miss about it um and and it's very i think that at its core it's a very benign very um, positive experience, very positive thing. Um, the problem is that it, that the people themselves as a whole, and I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking about in general, the people have created um, a, a structure that you have to live, you have to sort of accept in order to accept, in order to, to really be part of the, the society, the, the culture, and take advantage of a lot of the positives of that society and of that, um, of that social uh, structure. You have to sort of buy in all together. And there are a lot of people that have said very specifically, if you don't, you can't pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. It's either it's all or nothing. And, uh, and there's just, there's a lot of the, there's a lot of things like that, that, that are, are just a little bit, um, interesting and, 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 uh, and kind of difficult for me to, to really wrap my head around. And again, that's, I don't want anyone to, I don't want to be the guy. I said this earlier in this episode, which is why I think you need to go back and watch the full thing. But, uh, I don't want anybody to to say, oh well, Brett's doing X Y Z, therefore I should X Y Z. I I'm making choices, and I re- I refuse to take responsibility for your choices, right? I I and you shouldn't. There's very few things that I'll say should about because I'm again I'm a Byron Katie fan, but you probably shouldn't attribute or blame me for any actions that you take. If I say something and it's like and you, you know and you're like, oh well. Well, you know, Brett did X, Y, Z. So therefore I can, you know, I'm, it's okay for me to do this. Like, uh, that's, that's definitely not true. And for the, most of the time I'm, I'm talking to like my family and my close friends, people that grew up with me that understand that knew me before this transition. Like, I don't want you to think that I'm asking you to make a change in your life or I'm asking you to leave the church or I'm asking you to, you know, do whatever it is that I'm doing. Really, this is just me saying it's very difficult to, uh, in, in any sense to, um, legitimately follow a particular way of living or a particular thing when that thing is like the way that you, the way that you get, you, you are allowed access is through indoctrination ritual. Indoctrination ritual is naturally going to create a rabid follower. It's going to create, uh, that type of person that's going to be more, uh, likely to, um, to participate in a, in a more, uh, in a more, what's the word I'm looking for? A more zealous manner. And, and, uh, that, that type of thing, it just doesn't work for me. It's not something that, that really, um, that speaks to my sensibilities of, of sort of philosophy and just understanding the way that the human mind works. And so again, I'll just sort of wrap this whole thing up. Uh, I would, the only thing that I would encourage people to do is to understand that in some instances the the rituals that you participate in every day and that could be anything from brushing your teeth to uh to taking drinking water when you first wake up to going to the gym to going to work to reading scriptures to whatever it is whatever rituals that you are participating in every day those rituals are indoctrinating you to a certain way of thinking unless you are aware of the fact that they are doing that and you use that awareness to, to raise yourself above sort of the, the base level 
uh, indoctrination that's happening. So the the it goes back to what I said before in the in in the episode on Wednesday. You have to really dig deep and and know who you are and do things because it's you, and not do things because someone else uh, imprinted on you this sort of indoctrination or because you've got some other motivation that's that's driving what you're doing. Um, you, you need to break free of all that, break free of external influence, and make decisions based on you, and and be who you are. And the only reason I'm saying this is because I did it, and it's awesome. <laughs> that's uh, I'm not saying that, that your life's going to get better. I'm not going to say that that uh, that it's it's the, the the thing that everybody should like must do in order for this this world to succeed. No, I did it. Uh, I I was able to go through that process and make that shift. And and I think those of you that have made a similar shift in your lives uh, will agree with me, and you'll understand that that's that's kind of the difference in in what's happening. So so again, it, it, a lot of stuff is going to come back to this idea of just really dig deep and, and, and discover who you are. And then just don't, in a practical sense, don't let, I'll use the term one more time, don't let indoctrination ritual determine who and what you are and what you're committed to. I think that's, that's just about it. So anyway, that's going to conclude the live portion of this, uh, of this episode. Again, I would encourage you to check out the posted, posted portion. I'll post a link um, at some point. The Wednesday's episode is on my YouTube channel right now, by the way. But uh, uh, this this full episode will be will be going up in the next day or so. So um, anyway, hope you have a, hope you enjoyed that, or at least don't didn't not enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, so that's that. <laughs> um, I, that's something that I feel really strongly about. It's it's uh, I, I I don't think that that process is something that necessarily leads you to leave a religion or leave a family or leave anything. But I think it's a, it's a more honest approach to life, which is all that I'm striving for is just being who I am. And I wish more people were like that. I wish, I wish Mormons more, more, I wish more Mormons were, were honest and were, were to who they are. And actually, um, after the first episode that I did on Facebook live, when I talked about being yourself, I had a very beautiful comment put on by a former, a friend of mine who's Mormon. Uh, who said it comes down to respect, right? The reason why this sort of stuff happens and we're so afraid to be ourselves is because there's a lack of respect. Um, and I think when it comes down to it, that's the core of all of this stuff. Um, the core of these decisions and, and, and me reaching out and wanting to, to say something and maybe be a voice for people who don't want to, to speak up. Um, people make decisions people make mistakes and the the choices that people make are theirs to make the mistakes people make are theirs to make and if you can't respect well it's not even if you can't you should respect the choices that people make and some so often we have the debate about oh well if my if my children leaves the church will i still love them if my children if my if my son turns out to be gay if if my son gets in drugs will i still love him and and usually what people say until they're in that situation is, oh, I will love him, but I will hate what he does. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think that's quite it. I think it's something deeper than that because it's not just. You you can't really separate the two. You have in order to really really love your child, you have to be okay with the choices they're making. Otherwise, it doesn't really count. It's always sort of conditional, right? Or maybe, maybe I'm full of, maybe I'm full of it, so to speak. Anyway, 
Um, in closing, I just want to repeat again. I hope that this that this message will be received by those people that listen to it in in the right way, and I hope that people will understand that I I left the church for my own reasons, and I'm not going to stand up here and and say that everyone should leave the church. I'm not going to stand up here and say that that my family should um should you know do all the things that I'm doing or anything anything like that. I'm I'm, I'm not going to say that, but I I am. I am saying these are decisions that I made and I, I would like to be respected for them and I don't want to be interrogated and, and, I, and I, I don't, what I really hope is that I can be myself and that it won't cause unwanted and unasked for drama in my family. I don't want to show up to family gatherings and have people be looking at me sideways and whispering to each other, oh, that's Brett, he left the church. I don't want it to be awkward for my nephews and nieces to, to want to hang out with me or talk to me. And I don't want my their parents to think, oh, I don't want it to even be a question. Should we let him, should we let them go talk to Brett? Should we let that happen? Is it okay if they talk to him? Because I'm not going to, I'm not going to not say what I think, but I'm also not going to actively proselytize, you know, leaving the church. That's not, that's not the point. What I want is to just be me to just be and not worry about any of the other stuff. And, and I, and I, like I said, I hope that that's not going to cause rifts or, or create, you know, you know, sadness or, or, or I don't know. I just, I just want to be honest. I just want to be real. I just want to be me and, and I want it to be okay. So, uh, I also very strongly want to tell my family that I love them, and regardless, I, I I don't blame any of you at all for listening to this and deciding that I'm that I don't, you know, I'm a bad influence on you or on your children, and you don't want to to hang out with me. I, I get that. I I can't blame you for that. Um, I I've walked a different path. Um, I've had different experiences, and I've been down a different road, and and I I don't expect any of you to understand, at, really at all, and. And I love, and on top of all of that, I love each and every one of you more than you probably will ever know. I respect you all. And I just hope that we can be a, a happy family like we always have been and, and that this won't, won't cause a, a huge rift. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Um, the next episode is going to be uh, another fight commentary where uh, the, the rest of the glory fight, the, the main card is, comes on, they're replaying it in about 30 minutes. So I'm going to, get the setup again back in the other room and me and Dennis are going to do a little fight commentary, but I really wanted to record this and get it rendered so that I could throw it up. Um, hopefully tonight, maybe it won't get thrown up until tomorrow morning, but I just wanted to toss it out there anyway. Thanks everybody. Love you. Peace out.